Bread comes in many different varieties, but the only bread that nourishes our souls, hearts, and lives is Jesus Christ. Bread of Life is sponsored by the Bread of Life Fellowship of Boise, Idaho. You can contact us by calling us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. Join us now for the Bread of Life. Here's Joel Van Hoogen. In a day when our children are under attack of the enemy from all directions, it's most important that we have parents with courageous faith. That's exactly what Moses had. From Hebrews chapter 11, we trace the faith of Moses' parents and ask God to cultivate that kind of faith in a new generation of parents today. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's command. I think you've realized over the past couple of weeks that we've had very distressing, disturbing news about the destruction of children in our community, in our country. And we've borne the burden of that and we can't ignore it. The event has triggered a debate as to what's to be done in order to avoid those kinds of tragedies in the future. And what we can take away from that is that our country and our society knows, I think instinctually, that our future and the future of any people rests in its children. There are going to be any number of angles that people are going to take in order to address and deal with this situation. But one of the other things you can understand is no one is denying that the massacre of children is evil, and the failure to take measures to stop that massacre is cowardly. The best way to destroy a people is to destroy the people's children. Pharaoh understood this. He was threatened by the rapid growth of the Jewish people living in Egypt, and he first determined to try to suppress that growth by harshly dealing with them, by institutionalizing a slavery and a bondage in which they were driven into forced labor, slave labor. They were harshly forced to build various storehouse cities for Pharaoh. The problem with this strategy was the more that Pharaoh poured it on, it didn't work, it backfired on him, the more the Jewish people grew. The more that they suffered physically, the more they drew into one another, the more that that spurred greater growth among them. And so Pharaoh had a plan B. He called upon two women, Shipra and Pua, who were likely the ones who oversaw all of the midwives for the Jewish people. And he instructed them in a certain way. And if you understand the Hebrew here, actually what is being instructed is that before they draw the child from the mother's birth canal, if it is a boy there to put it to death. In other words, he's instituting a form of partial birth abortion here. They're to put to death any boy that is born among the women of the Hebrews. Only problem with this is that the Pharaoh, this king now, is dependent upon the institution of his command by a group of ladies, and these ladies had a different mindset. Exodus chapter 2 verse 17 tells us that these midwives feared God and did not do as the king had called for. And so Pharaoh brings out a final strategy. And his final strategy is to make a direct command to all the Jews who are slaves under his rule. And the command is basically this. If you give birth to a son, you're to cast him into a river or the river. You can save your daughters, but you have to kill your sons. The implication seems to be very clear here. 
It's basically this, the child's life or your life. It's not surprising that that would be the tact ultimately that Pharaoh comes to because in times of great social revolution, when new powers begin to rise and assert themselves, oftentimes this is the choice that is given to people. Your life or your child's life. Your dream, your livelihood, your visions, your hopes, your advancement in society has to come at a cost. It will cost you the life of a child. And this has been repeated over and over and over again. This is the strategy of evil powers that promise some benefit to individuals if they are willing to cut off from themselves their future through their children. This is the offer that was made in one way or another throughout the history of men. It was the revolution that took place in Cambodia, the revolution that took place in Russia, the revolution that took place in China, the revolution or institution of new power that took place in Germany, all was instituted with the primary goal of re-educating the children first and foremost of all. In America today, any number of revolutionaries are attempting the same strategy through any number of forms. One of the primary agencies of instituting it is using mass media and social media to communicate this basic idea. Abortion is an obvious expression of this choice. You really want to benefit your life, you'll have to get rid of the child, the baby. Less obvious expressions of this in our day and age are playing in the background in our telephone apps, playing in the background in television advertisements, and messages that are being inculcated into our children on a daily basis. The appeal that's given to young parents to get ahead, to be comfortable, to realize their identities, to realize their potential is very often offered at the expense of their children. Simply what is being said is, you put your life first. You let your children kind of quietly recede in the background. You create some distance between them and you. There are others there to provide for their care while you take care of yourselves. Just do that. And as you're doing it, just pursue your own fulfillment and your own realization and your own, you're important and you can't be good to anyone else until you're first good to yourself. You do those things and well, here's a video they can watch or here's some instruction they can have or here's an expert that we can send them off to. And We're not asked to do anything messy, but this is nothing new. Pharaoh figured this out long ago. You want to be better off? You want to live? You cast your boy in the Nile it won't even leave a grave. He'll just slip quietly under the waters. And then everything's going to be good for you. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the faith of the parents of Moses. Moses was going to rise up to be an emancipator for the people of Israel. He's going to be the author of the first five books of the Bible. He'll lead the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and into conquest or before the conquest that will take place in the promised land. He is a tremendous example of faith for us today. But his faith began with the faith of his parents. Your children do not genetically pick up your faith from you. They're born into your families, but they are not at that very moment born into your faith. And yet at the same time, God has made faith to act in our lives kind of like a germ. It's a God-constructed germ that He infuses within us that causes us to turn to Him, 
trust in Him and look to Him and believe in Him and rely upon Him and fear Him. And the wonderful thing is this germ of faith is catching. And it can be caught by our children. They can be, at some point in time, because of the faith that's within us, be consumed with the glorious disease of trusting and believing in God themselves. And Moses caught his parents' faith. It was his parents' faith that preserved his life. We're going to look at three things about the faith of Moses' parents. And each one of these, there is a corollary for our own lives. But the first thing we're going to see is that it was a courageous faith. Their faith enabled them to stand courageously against the threat of death that was laid against their lives. Faith always enables a kind of courage that can face down the greatest threats, even the threat of death. Faith overcomes the fears that come on us in the constraining circumstances of life. Faith overcomes the causes, the reasonable causes of fear that we are oftentimes confronted with in various circumstances that are great and real and they're threatening and they can consume us. Pharaoh was threatening his slaves with destruction if they didn't destroy their little sons. But the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 23 that we read, says that by faith, Moses' parents were not afraid of the king's command. Now, now how does that happen? How did faith produce this fearlessness before the great command of the Pharaoh, the king, against the weakest members of society's slaves? Well, it works like this. The way to defeat fear in your life is to find a greater fear to give yourself to. It always works that way. You want to beat something you're afraid of, just find something greater to be afraid of. Those who fear God find a prevailing fear that brings them to conquer all lesser fears in their life. Faith brings us to fear God. When our notions of power... When our notions or a person's notions of authority reside in things that they see, reside in what's brought before them, resides in the realities that they face from day to day, and they can see no further than their own nose or their own imaginations, those individuals oftentimes become victims of circumstances. They begin to cower before whomever or whatever or whatever movement seems to have the upper hand in the sway in the community or the society or the world in which they live. And very often they relent to it and they give in to the impulse and the pressure of those things. But when your concept of power and authority rests in the absolute of an eternal, powerful, all-powerful, unseen God... Well, then you can rise confidently above the pillars of the powers of this age. You begin to realize that whatever the pillar of power is that you see before you in this age, that it's going to crumble at some point in time. And the one thing that's going to endure and last forever and remain all-powerful to unending ages will be God Himself. And you fear Him. You put all of your confidence and your fear and your trust and your reverence before Him. And He begins to conquer and override and diminish all the other things. Faith defeats threats and worry and anxiety by yielding to a higher power 
and bringing the one who is faithful to entrust himself in that power alone. Actually, this is a story that's repeated over and over and over again in the Bible. You can go and find multiple examples. When you sometimes will come upon some point in Scripture that you want to make, my first thought is, before I give you an example from this world or from our present age, or from my life or your lifetime, I try to think of examples that we find from the Bible, and sometimes it's a bit of a challenge, but on this point, it's not a challenge at all. You can go through and find one story after another story after another story of individuals who confronted greater powers in them but overrode them because they were more fearful of God. We think of David facing Goliath. We think of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego staring down the command of Nebuchadnezzar to bow and worship the golden image that he'd set up for all the people to worship. And on occasion, if they were not to bow before them, they were threatened to be cast into a fiery furnace. They didn't bow. They wouldn't bow. They're brought before that fiery furnace. The king is about to throw them in. They're asked to give an answer for their insurrection, their rebellion. And they respond to him by saying this, Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Such audacity before the king. But if not... Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image that you have set up. O may all who come behind us find us faithful, not to a creed or a culture, but to Christ, his saving grace, his all-sufficient life. You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208 331-4096. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.